Welcome to the Business of Experience. I'm your host, Rodney Hobbs. Thank you for joining me today in the podcast series that explores everything to do with experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business of Experience. I'm very privileged and humbled today to have Grace Carrison, who's VP and Managing Director for Pymetrics of Asia, joining us to have another interesting conversation about everything to do with experience. So, hello, Grace, and, and thank you very much for making your time available today. Hello, Rodney. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So, Grace, maybe a great place for us to start and for the people that might not be as familiar as myself with yourself and your organization, could you give us a little bit of an overview of just your background and uh, Pymetrics? Sure. Um, so, I've been with Pymetrics for two years. Prior to that, I was with Microsoft, Cisco, LinkedIn, um, and Pymetrics is an enterprise software as a service company in the area of human capital. So what we do is we help large organizations make decisions about their workforce, and that's from recruitment to talent management and talent development. And what I mean by that is instead of using resumes or what we call hard skills as the first filter, which has been used by many companies for decades, uh, we help them leverage behavioral science with cutting edge technology. And that's to measure behaviors or traits of what you call it, that's hard to train in and out of, uh, that is cognitive, social, and emotional attributes of individuals. And we overlay that with a data-driven approach to match them with the right job based on their potential versus pedigree. So we work with clients like Unilever, Accenture, and LinkedIn, uh, as an example, or to Australian companies like ANZ, BHP, and Rio to hire the most diverse teams and at the same time reduce their cycle time to hire, which then impacts the candidate experience, but as well as achieve their efficiency and productivity goals uh, while decreasing recruitment costs. Um, what we are seeing though in the past 12 months is the focus on internal talent under the umbrella of future work, which you're quite familiar with, uh, which is internal mobility or reskilling. And so we are helping these same companies take the same approach that focuses on fairness and predictiveness through objective and data-driven approach at scale. Oh, that's fantastic, Grace. Thank you very much for sharing that. And uh, look, it's, it's actually quite fascinating. And, uh, you know, I went on and, and was a little bit of a guinea pig and played all the games <laughs> and uh, was, uh, was very pleased, I suppose, might be the word in the profile that came back. Or maybe I should be a little bit scared just how kind of accurate that was from just some of the, some of the little activities. But um, no, fantastic. And thank you again for that background. Well, well, look, what, what, happen, what happens these days, this is, this is where, uh, I suppose, hiring, whether it's internal or external, is, is broken because you have applicants that send their CVs but often never hear back or they do these assessments but they don't get any feedback. And so we're trying to address that, that, you know, when you finish your neuroscience-based activities or exercises, you get the feedback and that tells you a little bit about yourself. So hope you enjoyed the activities or the exercises and, and the feedback itself. No, no, it was really good. And I've got that profile. And again, a, another thing for me also, um, when don't get me started on the whole thing about learning, but you know, uh, I think even as, as a Gen X elder, as I like to say, we've all got these opportunities to continue to learn. And I think that's, you know, all of these things add value to that. So I suppose, maybe Definitely. Grace, if we can um, 
you know, the whole point of the, of the show is to talk everything experience. And I, maybe before we, we sort of launch into that, I think as we were discussing, we wanted to time this around International Women's Day and, and such an important thing for us to you know, recognize and, and celebrate. And certainly, you know, I'm blessed with the strong women that I have, not only in my life, but obviously that I've encountered through my life and, and in work. And I suppose, I, I think, you know, as a platform, you know, it's just, it's something that's so important that we all have to drive for this equity. Um, can you share a little bit of your insights on the importance of this and obviously the timing of us, not the importance of us launching this, but just how important it is and what it represents to yourself? Love it. And I am so grateful that we are having this conversation, Rodney, as we're celebrating International Women's Day, which is really a week-long celebration. So I know that there's going to be events across Asia that is happening to celebrate women uh, across, you know, across industries and, um, and across professions. So from my perspective is we know intuitively that diversity matters and that there are more data that shows diversity makes business sense. And the theme for this year is each for equal. So for me is an equal world is an enabled world. And this really aligns to Pymetrics's North Star of enabling a world where everyone can reach their true potential. Because to us, it's really about fairness and giving each person that wants to enter the workforce or in the workforce an equal chance of finding the right role for what they're really interested in and what they're innately good at. And what has happened or what is happening in a traditional sense is that there's still a lot of bias or unconscious bias in the process, but the technology is now here to provide that objective data-driven approach that's scalable and consistent across, uh, across any large organization. And I think we previously, we previously spoke about the, uh, the book Invisible Women, uh, Rodney, and I know that you're, uh, you're finishing that, that book as, uh, you know, I, I think this week. Well, I have to thank you for putting me on to that. And uh, certainly, you know, from the examples that we were just chatting about from, you know, the, the data biased or biased in snow plowing to toilet design to uh, <laughs> now I think we're on to, to ovens. I certainly, exactly. I suppose if I have to put a label and say a male, um, certainly was just unaware. And certainly it's a fantastic book. And obviously I'll put a link in the description and uh, for other people that might be uh, interested. But I think once you start understanding what this data gap is and the way that the author explores what that data gap historically uh, it leads up to now, obviously for me, I'm very much now um, better armed to make sure that in any conversation and discussion, not only are we living and breathing, you know, the principles about equity, but I think now also identifying that we don't uh, unwittingly, you know, basically design the future of work, you know, with these inherent issues embedded. It's our opportunity to not only, uh, you know, take individually responsibility and accountability to not do that. Um, but it's a fantastic read. So thank you again for putting me on to that. And maybe I think, Grace, a, a great segue to get your insights on experience and what does experience mean to you, maybe in, not only in that context, but more widely? 
It is. Well, let me just add on to the, you know, when it comes to experience. Uh, so the author of the book is Caroline Criado Perez. And this is really elevating that women are disadvantaged by data that doesn't exist for female experiences. So that goes from the, you know, the default temperature for air conditioning to the smartphones that we all use to the more life-critical, life-saving designs or health trials. Now, when I, when I think about experiences, and if you look at the dictionary, uh, there's really two areas or two definitions of it. So it's either the process of getting knowledge or skill from doing, seeing, or feeling things, um, or in terms of our conversation today, experience can be defined as something that happens to you that affects how you feel. And if you put that in the context of HR technologies today, which is, by the way, is growing leaps and bounds, and it's you know expected or projected to grow to 39 billion, a 39 billion dollar market by 2027. There's a lot of data but there's a lot of focus on capturing hard skills. And there are more technology players, big and small, that have entered you know, that talent management space. Mm. You know, and as companies leverage you know, technologies to transform, innovate, and compete, it's really important to put that human experience, that employee experience at the center. Because many implementations fail due to lack of adoption because that human aspect, especially the change management, has been underestimated. And I think you've raised and touched on some very important points there. I, I certainly think, and uh, there's many, many conversations that I'm involved in about change. And really, I think when I think about a lot of these conversations, really the conversation that we need to have is actually a change conversation. It's a change conversation that has many dimensions, certainly one that is going to be challenging the role of humans. And I talk a lot about empathy, human connection, and creativity, which is going to separate us from what is coming from the technological perspective. And I think that's something that I suppose be interested your view on this. I believe we're at a point where we've got to stop just bringing new technologies in, like the example in the book about the rostering for Starbucks um, yeah. and how using intelligence equals not being that intelligent when you look at what that example was around time to see their roster or having any innate real context and understanding in the case there of, of women. Um, but I think what we have to be careful of is that all through history and all through the industrial revolutions, humans have essentially had to learn to work with new technology, whether it was when we moved from the field to the factory and then you could argue the factory to the office and, and the context of what the office is in the future. But I certainly think we've got to, as, and I know you violently agree with this, Grace, this is about human centricity and how it we is. now put people it, what I say is in the middle of the future ecosystem that we need to start designing. And we have to challenge the core DNA of what work is. Exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, we talk a lot about, or people talk a lot about the employee experience, you know, across the talent life cycle from, you know, from hire to retire. And with technology, there's a lot of data that is being captured or that is being, you know, being sent out there. And there's got to be some core tenets around, you know, how do you make sure 
that there is trust in that data. So technology adoption can, um, you know, can be successful if people or employees actually know how that is being used, that there's transparency, that it can be explained, and that it is fair. There's a fantastic quote by, um, by, Deloitte, by Deloitte in their uh, re recent research that talks about, you know, every aspect of an organization disrupted by technology represents an opportunity to gain or lose stakeholders' trust. Leaders are approaching trust not as, a, not as a compliance or PR issue, but a business critical issue. And that is so true when it comes to really putting people and being open and transparent on how that data or that information, you know, is going gonna, is gonna to be used. And it's also just as important is, again, in the context of learning from the invisible women, really is what is that invisible data? You know, how are you making sure that how you're designing that, that employee experience is fair, that you do have a diverse group in the way that's being designed, um, and that you're looking at not just a user experience, but rather a meaningful experience. I can, and I can give you some examples of that in the context of future work. No, um, well, I think firstly, Grace, I, I very much believe in what you said. And I think there's a, a couple of real thought bubbles that just appeared to me, but please um, share some of those examples. Sure. Okay. So if, if I were to look at the three areas that is happening right now, so there's a higher focus because of the pace of technology, innovation, and automation, there's a lot more focus around reskilling or what we call internal mobility or talent marketplaces. So career pathing is one, redeployment and reskilling, and then how do you mobilize or move people at scale? So let's talk about career pathing. You know, this has now been radically transformed as people think differently about their careers, you know, from projects to gigs to agile ways of working, from permanent to contract staff, part-time or full-time. It's really around developing a collection of skills and capabilities so that you need to be more sophisticated, you know, you need a more sophisticated technology to help people navigate their way to those new roles. And what I mean by that is even your role or my role, you know, that exists today, Rodney, will, you know, will evolve and will be, there, will be very different, you know, in a couple of years time. And so it's better to support people to move within the organization into roles that they're interested in and have the capability to thrive and potentially open their eyes to opportunities that they may never have considered, which is really what we do at Pymetrics, is that by looking at your potential through these um, neuroscience-based you know, exercises, is we can match you to not only one role within the discipline that you're in today, but also a number of roles potentially across the, you know, across the enterprise opening up opportunities that allows you then to take the right courses, to have the right conversations that is more deliberate and meaningful um, as far as that conversation, you know, with, you know, with your manager or, or HR. So that's on the career pathing. On the redeployment and reskilling, what happens most often is that when companies are transforming and, you know, impacted groups, are, uh, are identified, you know, how often have you seen it, Rodney, where employees are actually told you've got 90 days or 120 days to look for another job within the company? Mm. And that still happens today. Now, wouldn't that be a fantastic experience is if, you, you know, if the company can actually be proactive in identifying 
roles that they could be reskilled at and by giving them options. So we've been helping companies through again the same, you know, the same approach, identify either future roles that they're going to be investing in anyway, and having that um, data presented back to the employee to say, hey, you know, based on, you know, what we've seen you play, you know, by metrics, it is actually showing that you could potentially, you know, thrive in these three other roles. Are these the ones that you would consider, you know, over the next 12 to 24 months? Now, that's a very different way of an employee experience um, when it comes to using, you know, technology. Um, another one is in the area of recruitment, especially when you're early in your career or, you know, graduates. You know, when you were early in your career, Ronnie, did you really know what career path that you wanted to take? Um, you know, a meaningful experience is to have, you know, a technology put something forward to you to say, hey, based on have you played Pymetrics, these are the options within, you know, VMware that, you know, that is available for you. And so you automatically see your options, you know, today, but potentially future options, you know, within, a, within the company that allows you to think about it more from a longer term career journey, you know, within, a, within VMware. No, I think, Is that? Yeah, yeah. no, look, I, I think, Grace, there's, there's some great examples. And just as you were speaking there, I, I, a couple of different things that I might just add back in and, uh, before we kind of shift into the next little little piece of the conversation, but I, I certainly am, I'm a big fan of Rachel Botsman who, you know, talks about trust. Um, and I think that, you know, trust to me is something that we haven't really even scratched the surface on. And then I sort of relate that word trust to somewhat, you know, where HR is and, and a lot of different research and reports that kind of points at it's a little bit of at a crossroads because a lot of people in an organization don't trust HR. And so when we've been talking a lot about the future of work and employee experience and, and words like that, you know, and again, misuse words in my view around everything's digital and we've got to stop doing that. And the word digital transformation to represent everything and anything that we tend to be doing, which I think is more, as we were discussing lipstick on a pig rather than actually anybody, um, really making change. And I think, again, the examples that you were just illustrating, we saw from the book, and since we're very topical, you know, this week around the women's aspects of this, the fact that women are highly more unlikely to put themselves forward with promotion. And, and some of the examples in the book that, that sort of looked at that and our response and our reaction to that has been to try to fix women to try and get women to behave more like men rather than understanding the different um, attributes. So I think the last part of that for me is I talk a lot about kind of somewhat the recipe of the future of work, which uh, one part of that, one set of ingredients, obviously a very important one, is people. And obviously recognizing that we're now in this multi-generational, very different levels of expectation. But when I thought about that, I try to think that there's a very big shift now from, you know, from way back, as you say, what happened when I started my career? Well, I was told very bluntly that my career was my problem and my responsibility. That's right. And, That's right. and I suppose um, you think about where we are now and, and tools like your platform Really, it isn't. It shouldn't have shifted just to become my problem because we all know through our careers just how that doesn't work. 
you know, and, and we've got to move away from that system, whichever label you want to put on it, to, as you say, being able to enact and create far different experiences to help people not only fulfill their potential, but really be able to be highly engaged and, and ultimately do their best work. Because as you say, we know diversity, we know that innovation, we know that when we can get all of these ingredients working, those companies outperform everyone else by just a long ways. So I think that's a very good way to think and move to the point of why do you believe, because obviously I'm very passionate and you know that, why do you believe there's an, in, an experience imperative? So there's, uh, I mean, this is uh, from an experience perspective, you know, as, as I mentioned is experience can be defined as something that happens to you that affects how you feel. And I suppose I see experience as almost like in a similar way as, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, there's basic experiences that, you know, that you expect that should be available in the, in the workplace. Although we talk about, you know, the, you know, the employee experience is three to five steps behind the consumer experience, you know, with that multi-generational um, kind of workforce that we now have here in Asia and that workforce is getting younger, you know, there are certain expectations on what they, you know, what they should have. However, to me, as experiences, as I mentioned, is, you know, also needs to be meaningful. And as she said, is in order for that, you know, that experience to be meaningful, there's got to be trust. Um, and technology is now here to enable that trust, as she said, between, you know, the employees, the business and HR. Um, you know, you made a comment around, um, you know, where HR has been in the past. And, and the reality is that today HR is being invited, you know, to have a seat at the table but not, not only to have a seat, but to actually have an equal voice. And so the companies that are partnering strategically, you know, with their HRDs or CHROs are the ones that have a focus on people and they are using, you know, data and insights to basically have that conversation, you know, with the business, you know, at the, um, at the table. When we talk about experiences and putting people, you know, at, at the center, you know, one of the trends that, you know, that is a reality is that even though there is a changing, you know, workforce in terms of demographics, the population, the workforce population is actually shrinking. So in Australia alone, you know, there's, by 2024, there's going to be a shortage of 100,000 talent in the, in the ICT um, industry. And so what happens is you got to look at, you know, inside your organization, the areas that you're going to be investing in and how do you have that great or fantastic experience for a proactive conversation with the data, uh, you know, accompanied by that data, you know, with any employee who may want to move from one role to another to support you and what that future work or future investments um, may look like. No, that's um, fantastic insight again, Grace. And I suppose I know that a lot of conversations I get brought into, there's uh, maybe if I can ask your, your sort of view on a couple of points here in regards to that. I mean, I think experience is an imperative because all organizations are going to be moving more and more, some sooner than others, to what I and yeah. many others would frame as a social enterprise. And I think that 
this is this shift. And I think a lot of organizations are still somewhat operating into me in a 20th century model versus a 21st century model that really does embed the value of people and, and the human nature of what work will become, particularly with the skills gap and all these different challenges that we know are coming and somewhat in play today. Um, I know that a lot of conversations are focused on onboarding and the skills gap and, and the notion of ghosting. I'm not so familiar that ghosting is something that I've seen, but <laughs> I'm very interested to understand because I, I think there is a, an oversimplification sometimes on, on taking what experience is and sort of making it very, very, very kind of, you know, somewhat binary that because someone can get a, a computer in you know, an hour, you know, that's going to make some meaningful change. Now, I, I agree that's a positive experience, but I think in the great context right. of this conversation, you know, there's a, there's a far stronger theme that we need to be aligning to rather than sort of oversimplifying and making it these kind of very simple little things because I think that oversimplification is dangerous. It is dangerous. Again, and I, if I were to look that back to diversity and inclusion, you know, we talk about diverse, the diversity is like being invited to the dance, right? Inclusion is being asked to dance. But to me, the secret sauce is belonging, mm. which is being able to dance like no one is watching because you can be your true self, you know, in the, uh, in the work environment. And, you know, again, I've seen and, you know, I've experienced it firsthand where there's so much focus on diversity as far as the D, the target. But once that talent is actually in the company, this is where inclusion and belonging tends to not be the focus. And to me, inclusion, you know, um, encompasses the, you know, that conversation and that support to make sure that they are in the right environment. And that is diversity across, you know, across levels. And no, then belonging, belonging is, you know, is really ensuring that, you know, you brought that person in or those people in because you want to have a different lens. So why are you kind of trying to put them, you know, in a, you know, to, to do what the company has always done in the past? No, I love that. I love that example about dancing. The only thing that uh, probably I would warn you about is you've obviously <laughs> never, you've never seen me dance when I think no one's watching me. So, um, but I think that's a, that's a great way of. You should of, be able to do that. Well, exactly. Right. You know, as long as I'm happy, right. That's what some people think. Um, I think, uh, you know, if we continue on that, that, that theme, what yeah. do you see then looking forward, you know, from your experience and in interactions with your customers and the industries what do you think are the key trends that, that my listeners or our listeners, you know, should really be think, starting to think about, you know, more urgently? Sure. So again, I put this in the umbrella of, you know, what everybody calls the future works, but I see the, the, uh, the key drivers in three, in three areas. First is the move from, you know, the HR technology growth from talent acquisition to talent management. So, the focus on what is happening inside my organization, you know, these are employees that have, you know, that, um, you know, adds to the culture of the company that have been productive, but my, you know, the company is changing. And so there is a requirement for technology to help evaluate, you know, what is the best way to move or reskill or develop talent. 
The second is the, uh, the pace of technology innovation and automation. And what I mean by that is if you look at large companies, it's usually the business that really drives that technology innovation and adoption. And what happens is because there is that, you know, people need to, uh, to work with those technology. HR, you know, is trying to keep up, you know, with the new skills and the new sets of requirements. Um, and that loops back into what do I need to do to retrain and redevelop or move my people. And I've, I've already spoken about the third, you know, the third piece, which is really about the expectations of the changing, you know, workforce, the fact that, you know, for the first time, we do have four generations in the workforce, but that, that workforce is, is on the younger side, but also it's a shrinking population. And so there is a high reliance around how do you remain competitive? How do you make sure that you're bringing in the right talent that's going to be with you, productive, motivated, inspired, because, you know, underpinning all that are really that, you know, the meaningful experiences that you're providing, you know, your, your workforce. So those are the three, you know, the three areas that, you know, that I, you know, that I see. Um, the, um, the other, you know, the other area that we hear a lot about is, what we call organizational readiness and the mindset. So in a, because of, you know, the word, you know, digital or transformation, as you mentioned earlier, Rodney, is a lot of organizations are concerned around, you know, where they are today around the capabilities of the future. You know, what does a company look like today and how do, you know, how do they get there and, you know, where do they need to go? So we get asked a lot around, hey, can you tell me, you know, am I, you know, am I digital ready? Is my workforce digital ready? Is my leadership digital ready? What is the digital potential of, you know, of my team? Adaptability, you know, growth mindset. Those are like examples of contracts clients are asking us about, which is really around behaviors. So it has nothing to do, you know, digital potential or digital readiness has nothing to do with technology. But it's really about your mindset and your, and your behaviors. But these are the things that previously, you know, have been hard to measure and to measure them at scale. You know, they, you know the traditional type of assessments, evaluations have been about workshops or somebody kind of observing you. But that is, again, is full of bias and it's, in, it's inconsistent if you're going to be using this across, you know, across globally. And so technology like Pymetrics is now here to really give, you know, lift up that data to make you understand, you know, what that, what that workforce is. Um, what, you know, what we are making sure though, is that um, there is no, you know, uh, you know, there is not a, a simple way of identifying what makes somebody, you know, your workforce, you know, you don't have, you don't need adaptability for everybody. Right. And so what we mean by that is this is, again, it's every person is unique that represents the culture of the organization. But what makes when somebody successful in one role could be very different, you know, to another. And this is where we need to be very careful uh, what, you know, when it comes to, again, is that invisible data to make sure that there is a diversity lens that is put in that. So one of the what we call softer skills uh, that is being talked about and, you know, it's in, it's in the top 20 skills of the future work is around one's ability to work, you know, collaboratively in a team environment. Now, if you look at talent 
that are in the neurodiverse spectrum, you know, who are in the workforce today. You know, the ability to work effectively in team environment, environments has an, has an impact, on, impact on them. You know, neurodiverse talents or employees need special accommodations because they can develop like sensory overload when dealing with too many people. Mm. But does that, you know, does that mean they're less able to contribute? And so the one size fit all, you know, rarely does. And so, and this is where we come in to say, you know, let's have a look at this area of your business or the types of work or certain roles or functions to say, you know, let's see with somebody, you know, in finance, what makes them great versus somebody in sales and or marketing. Because what you would see is a very different um, kind of traits, for example, when it comes to a risk profile. You know, you would, you would think that if you're, you're in finance, your risk profile would be very different from when you are in, you know, in sales. Um, but most organizations tend to want to, you know, to simplify things because technology hasn't been, you know, hasn't been available. But it is now. And what I'm highlighting here is really, just really being conscious that when you're implementing technology and when you're designing it, um, you, know, what, you know, what is the design makeup of that? Have you got the diverse lens? Does the technology or vendor allow you to be fair and making sure that you know you can do that, you know, the proper the proper checks and balances to have that fairness as the outcome? No, that's that's tremendous insights there, Grace. And I certainly think that, you know, again, as, as I've touched on before, I think digital is not only overused, but also misused in the sense of this kind of very broad term about digital capability. And as you um, so eloquently explained, most of the things that we're really talking about are attributes and, and as you say, are behaviors. They're not actual uh, digital skills as such. And then I think exactly. also one of the things for me that I kind of, you know, sometimes challenge my audiences with is, is when did we ever learn how to work? Because it's also sort of just an unwritten expectation that everybody knows how to work, how to communicate, how to deal with what now is a far more quicker changing environment for a lot of us, not all of us, I get that. But, uh, you know, how are we conditioned for work, which probably is is another conversation about how our education systems are really preparing us. And I think most my perspective on that is I think education has largely put its head in the sand and still believes that you've got to work hard to go to university and you'll have a job for life. Um, They're not really preparing the people to come into the workforce where we're going to expect a very different set of capabilities as organizations pivot and start designing the future of their work based on inclusion and diversity based on work being very different because we know technology is going to have a very large impact on that. All of these are amazing and fascinating aspects and hopefully our listeners are getting benefit from us because I think it's a very broad set of things and really illustrates to me the great opportunity between HR functions and IT and technology functions to really partner and collaborate rather than what I see too often as still being highly fragmented and highly siloed in the initiatives. And I think we've got to find a better way through how organizations can coordinate their efforts 
so that they are more materially de uh, delivering more meaningful outcomes to their employees rather than what I think the story is around digital transformation, which is a little bit like going back in time to when we talked about IT programs and projects that had a very, very <laughs> high failure rate. We seem to now just have a new generation of people that are illustrating that digital transformations are failing, failing to enable or provide sustainable new ways of changing or embedding the new ways of working. Definitely, definitely. And like I said, it's, you know, HR is being put to the task as far as really embracing technology. But the reality is they've, they're not a technology buyer to begin with. And as you said, is this is where it's an opportunity to partner closely, you know, with, you know, with IT, with the CIO. Um, and there are many companies that are more, you know, that, that are doing that. You know, Accenture is a great example where, you know, Ilan Shook, you know, goes on um, events and, and talks, you know, um, you know, side by side, you know, with their, you know, with their CIO. Um, the other thing that you, that you mentioned is the, you know, because there are a lot of technologies out there, Rodney, is that, you know, irregardless of where you are in the, you know, in the enterprise, there seems to be this, you know, it's the focus is on the new shiny thing or the new shiny project without really being clear on what is it that you're trying to solve before you even think about, you know, implementing, you know, any technology. You know, how do you proactively look at, you know, the people first, you know, what is the impact and what is the best, you know, the best approach, you know, leveraging technology to have that empathy and compassion, you know, with the, you know, with, that, with the employees. No, absolutely great. I mean, I have a saying that, you know, was a key slide in my very limited set of slides that I present these days, which says mindset, not tool set. Now, obviously. Exactly. That is so key, true. Yeah. And, and the key thing, and I think we've all lived this with our experiences before, I don't think in any enterprise or any organization, there's a shortage of technology. In fact, I know for there a fact isn't. that most organizations own more layers of technology than you could literally, no pun intended, poke a stick at per se. But it's not about the technology. It really is about, I, I think we've done a poor job and I'm as much a, a, a culprit in this story over my time of large ERPs and large enterprise systems that were really just in some ways imposed at the business. And I always talk now about the outside in rather than the inside out. And I think that's again about the mindset. And I think as we see organizations take different approaches to how they'll redesign work and, you know, again, agile is not a silver bullet to that, but the more we can see that we can work in a more, what I call prosumer model, that we are co-creating yes. with the people that will ultimately consume the service. We're going to be richer for what we learn from that than the position and the historical position, which goes back again to data. And we know that really, you know, now that I've read the book, I've got to be very careful because I like to be <laughs> data driven, but you know, now I can see that there's inherent flaws in the data which I've got to be more mindful of in the sense of any bias in that data, um, like the example of the temperature and, you know, who knows exactly. that that was based on 70 kilo males. Um, maybe <laughs> that hasn't been updated for a while, but um, I it think... It hasn't. No, no, obviously not. But um, again, that's, that's where 
we've got to be careful about the data and people just simply saying I'm using data, but again, it comes back, not one size fits all with that data. I think as we sort of approach and time has flown on us, um, Grace, I think we might cover um, quickly if we can, just a couple of real key points to finish today's episode. And that is, if you can maybe talk to us about what do you see as the maybe three key challenges from your perspective and what maybe if I can counter that, do you see as some of the key strategies for success that, that our listeners can think about? Sure. Um, so let's start, let's start off with the, uh, with the, cha the challenges. And I think we've, you know, we've spoken about this. Um, first and foremost is, as you said, is technology is going to continue to grow. And again, in the area of human capital, uh, you know, the HR tech market is booming. And there is a, you know, I am concerned in that, you know, we have an audience there that is not, you know, is not a traditional uh, technology buyer. And so, it, you know, the challenge is, you know, how does HR um, really come to grips with what is real, what is not, uh, and how do they actually evaluate it? And so the challenge of, you know, not being attracted to the new shiny thing or the new shiny project but being clear on what is it that they're trying to solve for, um, to me, is a, is a, is a broader challenge. Um, added on to that is, is really putting, you know, the people at the center. And that, again, it's, 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 it's a lot easier said than done. But that challenge is, you know, who do you look to, uh, to, you know, to help you do that? And this is where a lot, you know, the, uh, a lot of consulting companies that are now focused on human capital are, you know, are very, very busy these days because HR is, you know, you know, they are trying to get, get their head around, you know, what do they do, you know, with all these technologies that, you know, that could, that could potentially, um, that could potentially help them. Second, uh, third piece is another challenge is about um, if you're not clear on what, you know, what you're trying to do and what your outcomes are is, is really then proving what is the, you know, what is the return on that investment? Um, because unless you know that, is it, you know, trying to retain people? Is it trying to rescale people? But how do you measure that? Unless you can measure it, you know, those projects or those technologies are, you know, are going to end up, you know, at the, uh, you know, at the, uh, at the, at the pilot or, um, or a, a one kind of one group kind of implementation. So there won't be that broader adoption. And fourth and most important thing is really about, you know, what are the core tenets of kind of trust to make sure that as you're deploying these across the organization is that, you know, there's trust amongst employees as far as how, you know, how the technology is being used and how it would actually benefit them. And to me, it, that goes back to change management, but having that open and transparent conversation and, and communication, which again is, you know, fairly new, um, you know, when it comes to HR with technology. So those are like the four things that I see are, you know, are challenges. Um, your, um, you know, your second question is, what do you see are the key strategies, uh, you know, for success? So to me, it's, again, it's, it's about being aware of um, what is that technology, you know, what is that, you know, what is that intent of that technology? And 
um, you know, what are the outcomes that you're trying to, you know, to, to measure. And so it's almost like the flip side of the four things that, you know, that, you know, that I, that I spoke about. Um, you know, when it comes to the world of AI and machine learning, it's really important to make sure that, again, it's, um, you know, AI requires training sets. So in a similar way to the invisible women is you need to make sure that how you're designing that does have that diversity lens and diversity of that training set before you put it into production. And then you do the, you know, you do the checks, you know, the checks and balances. And just making a, uh, making um, a conscious effort that, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Even though humans like simplicity and, you know, there's a real attraction to, you know, to a one size fits all. We know through research that there are individual differences and differences in what is required for success in, um, in roles. So it's just making sure that, you know, there is a way to challenge, you know, the status quo or the technology. And like I said, is doing that checks and balances to say, you know, is, you know, are the outcomes, you know, the right outcomes that, you know, that, you know, that we want or that we intended to have. And how do you make sure that, you know, there is no bias or that certain demographics are not, are not disadvantaged. And lastly is really being focused on the meaningful experience. And I gave you some examples on, you know, you know, what can be done when it comes to career pathing, redeployment and reskilling, recruitment, but as well as mobility at scale and really leveraging technology to have that objective, data-driven and scalable um, approach to help you. No, that's wonderful, Grace. I think you, again, absolutely, I think one of the key areas moving forward is going to be the focus on people analytics and really having, you know, different ways to measure rather than, you know, some of the more rudimentary ways that we still have today, which again, I think changes, you know, the nature of certain decision making processes, but probably that's a conversation for another day. But I very much, and I'm sure the listeners do as well, appreciate uh, your insights. And, and I suppose in wrapping up, uh, thank you again so much for making your time you, available. Ronnie. And also, I think, you know, as we recognize and celebrate uh, Women's International Week, and we've talked a lot about the book, and again, I'll put a link in the description for everybody who's interested to do that. But how can, as a, a final thing on this, Grace, how can people find out more about your organization? Where can they go to, uh, to get uh, a better understanding of where uh, Pymetrics plays and what your platform offers? Great. So if you go to our website, so www.pymetrics.com, um, there's a lot of information around, you know, what does that mean from a, you know, a candidate or an employee experience, but what is it that we do and how we work with, you know, with companies globally. Um, and if anybody who wants to try and play a Pymetrics, um, you know, uh, gamified assessment, uh, send me an email at grace at pymetrics.com and we'll send you the link. No, fantastic. Well, Grace, thank you very much. I know you were a little bit poorly in the end of last week and over the weekend, but <laughs> I'm very, very grateful for you with your voice to, uh, to make it through the inaugural uh, podcast for the business of experience. So thank you very well, thank much. Thank you, Rodney. It's been a great experience. Thanks okay. so much. Have a great day. Thank you very much, Grace. Well, for everyone else, uh, again, uh, thank you very much for joining us today on the inaugural episode. And I look forward in the future for you joining us on the Business of Experience and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye.